Think Tank, a new live show and podcast where comedians put forward policies to a panel of real-life politicians. Tonight's theme is education, a subject close to my heart. I went to Portsmouth University, which is one of the best universities in Portsmouth. <laughs> I studied English literature with psychology, which is why I now do this for a living. Uh, if you're a student doing a BA, then have a good look at this. This is your future. Uh, I just left as they were introducing the £9,000 uh, tuition fees. I was, I was against the tuition fees. I thought they were a bad idea. That's why I'm very pleased now that the Labour Party have said that they're going to abolish the £9,000 tuition fees and, and replace them with £6,000 tuition fees. That's uh, much more reasonable. That is what young people want from the Labour Party. They want the political equivalent of a young person's rail card. <laughs> Oh, I should mention, there's no UKIP representative on this show. We didn't feel that they kind of had a strong education policy, so we didn't know what they kind of had uh, to the show. But I thought, you know, they're a rising party, so I'd look up what UKIP, uh, what their policies on tuition fees are. Uh, the UKIP policy is that the £9,000 tuition fees were caused by gay marriage. That's uh, <laughs> uh, I like my favourite university. Some people say they were educated at the University of Life. I like it when people say that. I think that's very charming. Um, I liked it when people said that until I heard it from my proctologist, and uh, that was unsettling. Um, but apart from that, I quite, I quite like it. It acknowledges that education uh, happens everywhere, and I think that's something important uh, to remember. Bruce Springsteen once sang, I learned more from a three-minute record than I ever learned at school. And I think that that's true. I did as well. Uh, that record was I'm Sexy and I Know It by LMFAO. <laughs> but I think you can, you can learn theory in school, but it's outside of education uh, that you see that theory put into practice. You know, at university, I learned about the, the theories of, of Karl Marx, but it wasn't until I went to work in an office that I kind of saw those theories put into practice. Uh, Karl Marx had the theory that workers and bosses have fundamentally conflicting interests. I think that's undeniably true. I used to work in this office, and me and my boss had conflicting interests. Uh, he was interested in exploiting the workers to generate as much profit as possible, uh, whereas I was interested in seeing what things I could put through the laminator machine. <laughs> Uh, not so much as I hoped it turned out. I eventually got fired for laminating scissors. I thought, I thought, I'll laminate these scissors, and I'll put them back in people's drawers, and my colleagues go to get their scissors, and they can see the scissors, but they can't get to their scissors because they don't have any scissors. And, um, that's basically what Marxism is. Um, but I... I I'm now at the age where a lot, a lot of my friends have, have kids of school age, so I get to hear about education from, from a different perspective. Uh, there's a teacher strike happening soon, so I get to uh, hear about parents' views on that. I found there's a, a strong correlation between uh, parents who oppose teacher striking and parents who have really annoying children. Um, <laughs> but it's weird, because it means that whoever I talk to about teacher strike, I, I end up agreeing with them. If it's someone that supports the strike, because I go, yeah, you know, that's, that's good. You know, they, they get a day off, you get to spend it with your kids, you know, it's just one day after school, they'll be all right. Uh, but when I hear people, you know, oppose the strike, I think, yeah, you're, you're right also. Selfish, selfish teachers forcing you to spend a whole day with your child. That must be horrible. <laughs> I'm going to write to Amnesty International. <laughs> Um, I was one of this because I was a terrible child. I, I remembered the other day the worst thing uh, that I ever did. Uh, it was when I was 14, a drama group uh, came into my school to do a uh, They did a play about the importance of going to the careers advisor. And in retrospect, I can see that they were just doing their best. It's hard, you know, making it in, in show business, and uh, you have to take whatever gigs you can. Um, and in also, in retrospect, I probably should have listened to their advice, you know, because uh, maybe if I'd gone to the careers advisor, I wouldn't currently be self-producing podcasts at a financial loss. Uh, yeah, laugh at that. Uh, by the time, I, I hated their shitty play, and I thought they needed to hear my opinion. Uh, so at the end of the play, they gave out feedback forms uh, so that they could so they could tell what we liked about the play, and they could take on the feedback and improve their play. And on my feedback form, I wrote, "Answer me this: If you know so much about careers, then why does not one of you have a proper job?" Um, 
I think that's the worst thing I have ever done in my life. Um, but it's also the thing from my childhood that I'm most proud of. Because um, that was in the early 2000s, before Twitter existed. And I basically invented trolling. That was me that invented that. It's really taken off since then. Um, so 10 years later, I'm working as a stand-up comedian, and I get books to do comedy club for kids. And I felt like my chickens have very much come home to roost. Uh, if you haven't been to Comedy Club for Kids, it's great. It's a comedy club, and it's, it's for kids. Um, you know, pretty self-explanatory. It's tough, because you know, a lot of the material I do in an adult comedy club won't work at a comedy club for kids. Um, so I wrote a bit about having a spaceship. I thought, I'd tell the kids I've got a spaceship, that I'll you know, impress them. Uh, I walked out on stage, about 100 children, uh, average age about 10. Uh, and I went, my name's Joe Wells, and I've got a spaceship. Does anyone else here have a spaceship? One kid put his hand straight up. Uh, anyway, I've got a spaceship. And I said, what kind of spaceship do you have? And he went, just quite, quite a basic one. That's lovely, you know? Yeah. I do have a spaceship, but I don't like to show off about it, you know? Um, that's the perfect heckle. There's nothing that you can say to that. So I had to have him removed. Um, <laughs> Uh, most of the education I get, I get now, I get from documentaries. I watch a lot of documentaries on 4D, Netflix, things like that. Uh, my favourite one, there's a four, uh, Channel 4 documentary about the NRA, uh, the American National Rifle Association, who are basically uh, aimed at people who found UKIP a bit too left-wing. And um, but, you know, they're kind of ultra-nationalists, and, and you know, some of them are quite racist and homophobic, and they want to own guns. And the, the NRA, they have a saying. They say, guns don't kill people, people kill people. You look at me and you go, yeah, people like you. Uh, but I think that's a distinction that needs to be made. The problem isn't people, and the problem isn't guns. The problem is the kind of people who want to own guns when they specifically are allowed to own guns. Uh, that's why I'm pro-gun ownership, but only for people who don't want to own a gun. Uh, I think if you don't want to own a gun, you should be legally required to own a gun. But if you do want to own a gun, you're not allowed one. There's a kind of society that I want to live in, one where the NRA and street gangs can't get their hands on a fucking water pistol, but the Dalai Lama is armed to the teeth. Like a Buddhist Terminator. I'll be back. It's a joke about reincarnation there, so... Um... Good. Uh, right, so it's about time to welcome our panel. Uh, they are a panel who do not need any education, as Pink Floyd would have said if they'd paid attention to English lessons. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our panel. In the middle of it, we have uh, a Conservative candidate who recently was uh, abroad in controversy because she said that UKIP voters were racist, uh, which I think is very unfair. Not everyone who votes UKIP does so because they're racist. Some people do it because they're homophobic. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Flick Drummond. On the far side there, we have a controversial Labour candidate who last year was embroiled in accusations of bullying. He's not receiving a fee for tonight's show, but before the show, he did steal my lunch money. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, John Ferret. <laughs> and next to me here, we have a man who last time he ran for the Green Party received 394 uh, votes, which is not enough to get elected, but those ballot papers are made out of trees. And uh, isn't that what being in the Green Party is really all about? Uh, please join me in welcoming again our panel. <coughs> Sincere thanks to everyone for coming. I really uh, appreciate it. Uh, uh, the question we've asked our audience, and I want to ask you as well, is what is uh, the most important thing you learnt at school? Let's start, uh, start with Flick in the middle. Oh, it's such a long time ago. Um, what I, th I think I've learnt more since school than I learnt at school. I, it's probably my most interesting topic though, was history, which I love. And uh, what's very important, one of the reasons why I don't like UKIP particularly is because I'm quite pro-European and I believe that after 70 years of peace, um, which I think the European has brought, um, we've had 70 years of peace and thousands of years of war and the last 70 years um, is why I think the European Union is quite a good thing. So probably history was my most interesting thing. I'll just go to Tim next. 
Well, I think I learned lots of things. I mean, accuracy in particular. I mean, for a start, I got 395 votes last time. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, I don't know. I, I think I've probably learned a great deal more since I left school uh, than I have since. I'm a great believer in in learning for the whole of your life through, um, you know, taking a creative approach. I, I've often said that education is, is something that's done to you, whereas learning is something that you do for yourself. I, I strongly believe in that. Uh, as, as John said, probably the most important thing I learned was to was to talk uh, and challenge authority, which didn't bode well at school, <laughs> got me into a lot of trouble, uh, and it's probably the, one, the, the only talent I have, actually, uh, is being able to talk. I've got to take issue with the, uh, the bully comment from Joe. There was actually, uh, and this will sound like I'm protesting a bit too much, there was a bullying inquiry, uh, and there was one complaint that was made against me by a UKIP councillor who claimed that I called him uh, an illiterate racist. Uh, he later admitted in the paper that he couldn't read and write. So I stand by that comment, actually, in terms of UKIP. Uh, there, uh, the report found there wasn't any bullying, so I'm going to ask Joe to retract that. But no, get him. I apologise for calling you a bully. Thank you, Joe. Please, please don't hit me. But... <laughs> I'm digging a hole. But in terms of, uh, in terms of school, yeah, I, was, I, I suppose I'm one of life's natural dissenters, uh, and unsurprisingly, I've ended up as a trade union rep. Uh, and I can always recall my metalwork teacher at school, I went to uh, City of Portsmouth Boys School, saying, you will never amount to anything, Ferret. Uh, and I think he was right. There you are. Thank you. John is lovely, really. Um, Right, we'll, we'll start with, uh, I think that's very similar, we've got some audience suggestions of the most important things they learned in school. I think it's similar to the thing you were saying about uh, challenge authority here. Um, the most important thing I learned at school was that if you put 5,318,008 into a calculator... <laughs> uh, turn upside down, it spells boobies. <laughs> Unfortunately, this didn't come up on the GCSE maths exam. Uh, I've got one here. The most important thing I learned at school, regardless of wealth, anyone can succeed, but you must have the right support. You shouldn't buy a good education. And then after that, the most important thing I learned at school, how to make hummus. <laughs> Uh, there's a lot of uh, kind of cookery-based uh, things here. Um, most important thing I learned at school, uh, always buy a quiche, never try to make your own. Uh, most important thing I learned at school, uh, whoever was in charge of buying in the scissors for my primary school had a very distorted view of how many children are left-handed. <laughs> Most important thing I learned at school, there was Henry VIII who invented the game Shag, Marry, Kill. <laughs> I think this is my favourite, it's quite a long one. Most important thing I learned at school was the observer's paradox. That is the phenomena where the observation of an event or experiment is influenced by the presence of the observer. I learned about the theory during a physics lesson and the practical implications during an Ofsted inspection. <laughs> uh, right, the format here, this is uh, Think Tank, so what's going to happen is we have three comedians who are going to come forward, they're going to speak at the lectern, and they're going to put forward an education policy that they'd like to see uh, the next government, whoever they are, put in place. Let's have an applause for my first speaker for the Think Tank, for Gronny Maguire! I feel very much like Charlotte Church on uh, question time. Uh, so the, um, the education policy I would like to put before the panel is I li would like to see all private education completely banned, made it illegal. Uh, the idea that you can buy 
your children, like a, a good education, a better start in life, I find repulsive. I find it genuinely, genuinely disgusting. And it's something that, it's sort of like quite a normalized thing in British culture. And as an outsider, I find it really strange and really weird that you can decide from an early age sort of which children you should give a chance in life to and which will probably end up working in a factory somewhere. I mean, what is the point? Uh, I think dividing every generation up where they only get educated with children who, um, whose parents sort of are from the same demographic as their parents is not healthy, it's not normal, it creates sort of a ghetto. It means that there are children going up who will only ever know people from a very, very similar background to them, will only ever be friends with somebody from a very similar background to them, will only fall in love with somebody from a very similar background to them. I don't think that's a great way of getting the best from your society. You have the most influential people, so the people with the most money, the most social capita, who have no personal interaction whatsoever with your educational system. So why should they care? Their children are all being privately educated. So why should the people who can change it the most, who are the most influential, have any interest in it whatsoever? Um, um, I don't think it's normal for only people to know back people from the same background as themselves. Uh, I don't think it's normal for your parents to be your teacher's bosses. I um, have personal experience of this. I worked in a private school in Madrid for a year. It was the sort of school where we were told to redo the children's artwork. So I was teaching like five-year-olds, and before the artwork was allowed to be sent home, the, pair, the teachers, we had to redo it if it was too messy, if it wasn't neat enough. That's what it's like. We had an open day where the parents could come and see what their children are doing, and it was rehearsed for months beforehand. A Broadway production was not rehearsed as much as this one day where the parents came in to see what the thousands and thousands of pounds was being sent on. Um, and I also think, I, I think it's a disadvantage because we live in a society at the moment where there's, in Westminster, there are more people from the school of Eton alone, there's more MPs from Eton alone than there are from a manual working class background. And that is disgraceful. That is, it's what a loss of, of talent. And the, the, the people that get, so boarding schools were created so that uh, the people who were going to rule the empire could be tough enough to cope with all that that would entail. So the people who go to boarding schools are messed up. They're crazy. You end up with, they are nuts. I don't know if you've ever... I work in uh, Radio 4. I know a lot of people who went to private schools. They're crazy. They're all mental. What you're doing is, the, the school system at the moment is like you're all in Hogwarts, but only the House of Slytherin is allowed to run the country. <laughs> <laughs> if you think of your recent Olympic Games, right, you had the best and the brightest and the most talented from all over Britain winning all those fabulous medals. Imagine if the only people allowed to compete in the Olympics came from like four boarding schools. Do you think you would have won as many medals? But that's the system that you're using to run your entire country, to run the government, to run the media, to run the banking sector. Uh, and I just don't think it's, it's a good use of your talent. I think if you're going to have a private schools, public schools, you should have them for like the kids who are so dopey and rude and unteachable that they can't... I, I think all, pub, all schools all comprehensive should be so brilliant and so amazing that you have to send your kid to a private school as a very, very last resort. And it's never mentioned. And there's a social stigma attached to it. Because <laughs> I just think uh, you're not going to compete uh, on a worldwide scale and be the best that lovely Britain can be unless everybody gets a chance. So that's why I think you should scrap public schools. The end.
would defend. Uh, I feel like we should go to Flick first. I feel like oh. she's a little bit hurt by uh, what I said. Um, you're not a psychopath, are you, Flick? Oh, uh, uh, <laughs> Well, I went to mixture schools. My, um, my father's in the army and then the foreign office. I went to British council schools. Um, I went to RAF school in Bahrain. Um, and then at the age of 10, I got sent back to boarding school because obviously they were moving around so much. And then I went to a sixth form college. So I've had a mixture of both. Um, and I'm a Tory, so maybe I am screwed up. I mean, I believe in choice, and I think there should be a choice. If people want to spend their money on education, then let them. I've met so many people in Portsmouth. I mean, we have four private schools in Portsmouth, and there is a reason because of that, because the education has not been good enough for, for their children, or so they believe. And uh, they've been people who've taken two or three jobs and have worked solidly so they can send their children to these schools. And I have great admiration for them, putting their uh, ed children's education first without having to... Uh, the opportunities to go on holidays or whatever. But I think um, that it's, it's really... Uh, it, I mean, some of our private schools are the best in the world, and I think every state school should be even better than them. I do agree with you that they shouldn't have to be private schools because I think the state system should be better, and that's one of the reasons why I got into politics. Because when I went to my local school, they had 40 in reception. They had no after-school activities. They had no art or music or drama and all the things that I think are really important for a whole education. So I got into politics because I want to change the education system. I think that every state school should be even better than any private school. And they should have the ability to do music, math, sport, and achieve to whatever they want to achieve. So um, that's one. That, sorry, I, am I going to be chiming with you? Yeah, no. If I, um, yeah, that's, yeah, that's fine. But yeah, well, <laughs> exactly. So the only thing I would agree with you that it would be really nice not to have any private schools because the state system is so brilliant, and that's what I'm hoping to achieve if I get elected. Thank you. Um, I, I think I'm going to go. I was going to go to John as well because John, you're a member of the Labour Party, the party of the working classes. Uh, private schools, are, you know, they're elitist. They're for rich people. Why don't the Labour Party just ban private schools? Yeah. Uh, I'm not quite as ideological on that as, as Grania. Uh, I'm not a big fan of banning stuff. Uh, I suppose I'm a bit liberal with a small well uh, in that sense. Uh, but I do agree with the sentiment in terms... I think we have gone backwards in terms of uh, private education. Uh, I think we, from 1964 uh, up until David Cameron was elected, uh, we'd had prime ministers who'd been to state schools. Uh, now we have an old Etonian uh, as prime minister and a number of his cabinet uh, are also old Etonians. Uh, and if I was Chancellor Exchequer's uh, parents, I'd be asking for my money back, I think, because I always, I always thought that uh, private education was supposed to give you great self-confidence, uh, yet there we have a guy who's not even confident enough, enough to use his own name. So, uh, uh, if people don't know, George Osborne, really called Gideon Osborne. Uh, As opposed yes. to Ed Miliband, who's brimming with confidence. It, so. it, exactly. <laughs> it is about, it, clearly it's about resources. Uh, people who go to private schools tend to do better. Those schools have more resources. They have smaller class sizes. They have better facilities. That's why they do better. And clearly, we have to invest that money uh, in the state education system. It's, it is an obscenity that we give tax breaks to private schools. I think that's one element that we should, uh, we should get rid of. And we should be looking at reinvesting that money that we save from giving tax breaks to private schools into the state education system. But we should be moving uh, a lot and we should get to that position where people don't have to send their kids to private school. In terms of the state system, uh, in terms of your point about trying to get kids uh, of all abilities and from different parts of cities and catchment areas to mix, uh, I think the lottery system uh, could work in that sense because we have people that move into certain areas in order to get a better school. Uh, and I think as a local education authority or a local authority, uh, you should be looking to make sure those resources are used fairly right because, across the system. Yes, uh, thank you, John. Uh, uh, right, tip, we're going to go to Tim. John says that Grania is too ideological. Uh, the Green Party don't want to ban private schools either, so Grania is even more ideological than the Green Party. Like. Well, we have a little cunning plan on that. I'll come to that in a moment. <laughs> Just, first of all, I mean, uh, I, I respect what uh, Flick says, and, uh, you know, as Tories go, I think that's a pretty good policy, actually, Flick. But the, the fact of the matter is, I've got friends of mine who've got two or three jobs 
but they do it to feed their families and pay the rent. They don't do it to pay 30 or 40,000 pounds a year on school fees because they can't afford it. The only people who can really afford private school are the, the, the very rich in our society, those people who have inherited wealth or by some luck of society found it. And I think that's fundamentally wrong. The Green Party has a cunning plan for private schools and academies which are a Labour policy, by the way, and free schools. I want to see, I want to see lots of experimental uh, things happening in education, lots of trying out things, see if they work. But I want to see them in the context of proper local authority control, proper teachers involved in running the schools, trusting the teachers to run those schools. So what we want to do is, yeah, we won't ban schools, but we'll tax them. We won't give them charitable status, private schools. We'll make sure that they are subject to the same rules and regulations that local authorities Tim, schools Tim, if you don't... And that, that, Tim. That's, what, that's what these guys have done to the local authority sector. But, uh, they Tim, changed the rules in a way that's made it impossible to run a local authority Tim. school. We'll do the same to the private But the, the, I mean, if you take away the charitable status of Eton, they'll probably do all right as a business. Uh, They've got money coming in. Well, why is the Green Party, the Green Party, the ideological party, who, who you know do all, all radical, exciting things? But well, why doesn't the Green Party just ban private schools? I've said them went to East. Well, well, we, we... <laughs> <laughs> well, I certainly didn't, Joel. I was working class and got credentials as you might. Uh, come on. <laughs> I, I, I don't think I, I, I don't know. I, I don't. I've never met anybody in the Green Party who came from Eton, but I wouldn't discount the possibility. Uh, Tony Blair, I think, went to Fettis College, which is true. You know, but I mean, the, it, it, we don't. We don't. I mean, there are other ways of dealing with things. We are not a ban it from the state type party. We have ways of making a fair society. Let's make a fair society and see what happens. If we make a fair society that people have the opportunity to look after their children themselves, to get a proper life for their children, so they don't have to send them away to some institution when they're 10 years old, which I think, by the way, is totally barbaric. We move to that. So let's, let's talk about changing society. Slowly become the Green Party conference. <laughs> um, let's, let's go to, to Gronia. Um, I just wanted to say, just really quick, I think this whole notion that it's about choice is a complete fallacy. If, yeah, if, yeah. So, if you can't, if, like, if only like 10% of the country has the choice, it's not like most normal people working a job can go, Shall I send my kid to my local school or to Eton? That is not a choice. And since education is the most important thing for social change, for progress, for deciding who's going to be running our country in 40 years' time, I just think leaving it up to uh, capitalism is not a great way of doing it. If, um, yeah, Flick or John, do you come back? Can, can I come back on the academies thing? Uh, very quickly. Because we've got um, an academy in... Town called Charter Academy, and that was failing as a local authority school, and only 3% got five A to C grades. And last year, they 83% got A to C grades, and those children are having the most incredible education, which they wouldn't have got if it hadn't been taken over by an academy. So I do think that academies, I don't like all academies, I wish the local authorities were better, but there are cases when academies, you have to have them if you want to give those children those life chances. I just think in general, see, in London anyway, it seems to be that the places... Well, yeah, that I think you're talking about free schools, not... Oh, am I talking about free schools? <laughs> Listen, guys, I'm Charlotte Church, remember. Um, <laughs> I just think these new schools tend to be in the areas where... Um, they don't tend to be in the areas where people need them most. I, said, well, I, wanted to, I think that Dora made an interesting point about, how, about choice and the fact mm. that a lot of people don't have the choice mm. to to send their kids to, to free school. What, what do um, John or Flick, what are your, um, one of you two, can you come back on that point? Yeah, I, I, I'm not aware that we have any we free schools any at free the moment schools. in Portsmouth. Uh, I was talking about cho choice to go to private schools. So, so. No, no, they don't. Clearly people don't have the choice. And, uh, and picking up the point about having a system where you don't have private schools, clearly others, I, I think that's the ideal, but clearly other societies who've been through much more upheaval and there have been uh, revolutions and there, has been, there have been clearly great changes taking place, clearly that hasn't happened here 
and we have a very, let's say, organic system that has grown up where we have faith schools, where we have private schools, we have state schools, we have grammar schools. So a very mixed economy has grown up. I, I think an ideal would be that no child's disadvantage, and that's what we should be aiming for. Uh, but we have to work with the system that we have uh, as much as... Grania might want a revolution. No, but, it's a, but, it's, but it doesn't make sense because if we're not getting the best... The system that we've got. But it's like you, you can't go, oh, well, that's just the way it is. You know, most of our politicians come from, like, 5% of the population. What are you going to do? You, like, we, you're reaping the results of only a very privileged few, few being able to afford the education. You, then you have to look at how you're going to regulate that. You have to look. I think Tim's point is good, not only in terms of not giving tax advantages to private schools, but also seeking to get more revenue from private schools that then can be redistributed. So I'm not against the concept in terms of redistribution. Uh, but in terms of... Uh, I'm, I'm a governor, school governor at an academy school, uh, an academy school in Paulsgrove, uh, one of the most deprived areas in, in the city, uh, and it was a failing school. Uh, and as an academy, it is starting to turn itself around. So it's not the case that they're elitist institutions by any stretch of the imagination. Academy schools are doing a lot of good work in a lot of deprived areas. OK, on that point, I think that yeah. we need to wrap up this particular question. Thank you. Gronje McGuire. We've, we've all survived the uh, first round. Let's uh, uh, bring on our next uh, comic. We have uh, Gareth Richards. Please put your hands together. Gareth Richards. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Politicians. Hello. Hello. How's it going so far? It's <laughs> tough. Um, lovely to see you all. My name is Gareth. Um, say hello, Gareth. Hi. Hello, everybody. Uh, my policy is um, good teachers should get paid more. Uh, yeah. <laughs> or to word it in a slightly different way, teachers should get paid more for teaching those more difficult to teach. And my son, Ethan, <laughs> what do you think? We've got quite, give me a cheer if you are a teacher here. So we've got some teachers in. And um, any head teachers? Oh, one head teacher, nice to meet you. My son, Ethan, is five years old. And um, he's in his second year of school. He's done reception. And, um, and um, he, is a, he is a nightmare, <laughs> right? Sitting down with him to make him read is a nerve-shredding ordeal. He will look around and sit on his chair sideways, fall off the chair, do all sorts of um, crazy things. So the other day, the to um, illustrate what Ethan's like, the other day is, um, his best mate's called Harvey, and the other day he said, um, Daddy, what does funky nail mean? And I said, um, why'd you ask that? He said, well, Harvey said that the worst thing in the world that you can say is funky now. <laughs> I said, well, no, Ethan, um, funky now was an old lady who used to hang out around the docks. <laughs> I said, no, um, actually, kunk is the worst thing you can say. <laughs> but tell Harvey that if he teaches you anything else like that, I will funk him up. <laughs> But um, we met up with this teacher, and um, she said, I mean, it is now, but he, she said, Ethan is, he's a little slow in learning to read. And, you know, he's my son, and I took exception at that, because he is not a professional learner. <laughs> he has only just started. I was like, I don't know if he's slow to learn to read. Maybe you're slow to teach him. Um, my wife's a teacher, and she doesn't like me saying that. <laughs> Um, so what I'm suggesting is that we structure, structure teachers' pay in a way as to reward effort. The harder the kids are to teach, the better paid the teachers are. I suggest an extremely complicated point system. <laughs> Based on factors I'm going to outline here, and which place a higher premium on, premium on the attainment of some children over others and reward teachers as such. 
Section one, teachers should be paid more to teach younger children. Now, so, and I'm talking about summer-born children, so... <laughs> if you are born in August, you are the youngest person in your year. That means that you are over... You're a, not over a year. <laughs> Just under a year younger than the oldest child. And um, these are... Um, there's been research done on this, and if you want to look at this research, it is on the internet. <laughs> August-born August children are substantially lower, scored substantially lower in national achievement tests and other measures of cognitive skills. They are three times as likely to be considered below average in reading, writing, and maths. 20% likely, less likely to go to a leading university. They could go to Portsmouth. But, <laughs> that's a cheap joke. They, and they're more likely to be bullied and to um, consider their education experience to be unhappy if you are born in August. These are kids who start the race with a disadvantage, and if you're a teacher, you should be paid more if you get results from them. I was born on the 18th of August. <laughs> Second point, teachers should be paid more to teach poorer children. Last year, the attainment gap between richer and poorer students at GCSE level widened. This was measured by looking at the gap between those eligible for free school dinners and those who were not. It is harder for poorer kids to get GCSEs than rich kids. So teachers should be rewarded for helping them do that. I was on free school dinners for a while. <coughs> is it right that Michelle Pfeiffer should be paid more to pretend to be a teacher who goes to the ghetto <laughs> and teaches street kids into street music that Shakespeare has a little flow of his own? than actual teachers. Point number three, teachers should be paid to teach more... <laughs> teachers should be paid... It's not as easy as it looks, is it? <laughs> teachers should be paid more to teach stupider children. <laughs> we all know the story. A child is from a poor background. The odds are against them. But the teacher sees in that kid a natural spark. And so they nurture that spark, and it grows into something brilliant, a flame of A-levels. <laughs> but what about when there's no spark? <laughs> what about the kids with no glimmer of anything at all? What? Who's going to spend more time with those kids? Um, when I watched the brilliant documentaries Educating Essex and Educating Yorkshire, an unfairness struck me. What struck me is that if a kid is outgoing and funny and charismatic and one of the cool kids, he can get away with murder and he gets loads of attention from the teachers. The teacher loved that dickhead. <laughs> you know, he's charming and funny and, and doesn't pay any attention. <laughs> Um, whereas the little shy freaks are completely overlooked. <laughs> the social outcasts, uncomfortable in their own skin, were left to toe the line and rot away in their own introverted hell, planning how one day they would get their own back by becoming comedians. <laughs> or politicians. <laughs> <laughs> Where am I up to? Some kids are ugly, Awkward, annoying, and those people are less pleasant to be around. It's harder to teach those kids, so teachers should be rewarded for it. <laughs> At school, I was a little shy, annoying freak. Although, luckily, I've bloomed into quite a beauty. <laughs> By this system, teachers would be motivated to seek out the ones that would normally slip through the cracks. The youngest, the poorest, the stupidest, the ugliest, the smelliest, the most irritating. And may I say that we're better to try out such a scheme than Portsmouth. <laughs> I think that um, we won't get into detail about the point system of what? the panel. 
But uh, let's. Uh, I think the the point here, which we need to discuss, is is what makes a a, a good teacher. Um, should we go to uh, to John first? What's a good teacher, John? Succinctly. Uh, a good teacher is clearly someone that can inspire uh, and someone that can uh, get kids to learn. Uh, it, I'm. I'm uh, I agree. I'm back to your starting point. Uh, but I can trump you on August. What was it? August the 18th. 18th. I was August the 21st, uh, and I've always felt that's helped me back. There's, a, there's an interesting... Look at you now. There's an, exactly, I've already used that game. There's an there's interesting statistic. Uh, I think it's 80% of Premier League footballers are born between September and December. So yep. there you are. We could have been contenders, you know what I mean, in terms of the, uh, the Premier League. Uh, but no, in teachers, you do need uh, inspiring individuals. I think it's a, it's a good idea. Best teachers teach those kids that need the most help. And again, I use football analogy there uh, in terms of I've been involved in football coaching. Uh, and I've always felt the best coaches should be teaching those kids that need the most help. Invariably, you find in football clubs, the best coaches are teaching the best players. Uh, and the kids that really need that help get left behind. So, important principle. <clears throat> Uh, so, so, uh, um, so I mean, it's essentially what, what we say, and I, I think I agree with, with much of what you say. Um, but how uh, we're, we're talking about teachers' pay. Uh, you know, teachers get paid a lot. Uh, the average teacher's wage is, is 29 and a half uh, K, so it's less than someone working in, in oil or in energy, uh, certainly less than someone working in investment banking. If we want these in, inspiring, wonderful people, uh, how do we get them to go into teaching when they can make a lot more money somewhere else? Uh, we, uh, we'll go to Flick first. So. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that teaching is the most important profession after being a parent because you're bringing up the next generation and, and shaping people's views um, and, and, how, and how they behave and how they, how they do. I mean, you're just shaping individuals for the future. So it is really important. And the pay performance, um, the review which they brought in, the government brought in, is actually quite exciting because you can start um, helping the, the teachers that are doing better than others. I was, I'm a governor at a school and we spent a whole day going through all each teacher in turn to make sure that they were properly rewarded because why should one teacher who puts in oodles of effort and is an inspirational teacher be paid exactly the same as a teacher who just puts the minimum effort in so uh, I, and it's a way of perhaps weeding out some of the poorer teachers and making sure that the good teachers are there but it's I, I used to work as um, an Ofsted inspector a lay inspector in the 90s and it was really obvious who the good teachers were because there were some really badly behaved children in some of the schools I went to and yet in some classes they did incredibly well because that teacher was really inspiring and in other lessons they were all over the place and it was really obvious who the good teachers were so I'm, I'm really pleased if we can reward good teachers that's fantastic uh, let's, go, let's go Tim uh, I'm assuming the Green Party policy is to, is to pay teachers more is that uh... well we, we, we've just had a major review of our education policy uh, and what a mistake that was you know I mean thank you Gareth there's so many great ideas there we could have used <laughs> uh, the uh, I, I, I think we want, there are, there are lots of nuances in that. I think with teachers have to be, we all agree that teachers are marvellous people. We need, we need that. We all remember the teachers that inspired us when we, you know, for better or worse, when we, when we were at school. Um, but I think we need to, to look at it more carefully than that. I don't want to get to a situation where our policy, by the way, is to take offset and get away with it and bring back a local authority inspection regime and get away from offset altogether. This is climate, climate under a, under a, a, a teachers have been put the, on. About, we're talking about teacher, teachers' pay. Under a green government, um, it might happen, uh, would, would teachers be, teachers' average pay would go up, would it? I think so. Um, and roughly by how much would you I, I, I don't think we'd have a performance-related pay scheme for teachers. Along but the, the average pay for teachers, what would, where would we be I, I don't, To be honest, I don't really know what the average pay for teachers are. It's not it's my 29,000. <laughs> well, you know, um, I mean, we have to see that in the context of where, where we are. But I think we, I would like to see uh, certainly teachers at the, the junior level, and our policy, by the way, is to start formal education at the age of seven, as they do in Scandinavia and Germany, then uh, we would, I would like to see more effort put into properly trained and rewarded teachers at that level. I think most people enter teaching because they have a vocation and they want to do the job. And that doesn't mean that they shouldn't be properly paid. They're professional people and they should get a proper pay for rate for that job. Okay, let's get no some, uh, let's get some is, questions from uh, the audience. People have uh, succinct questions over to the panel or to Gareth about uh, his points policy. Uh, put your hand up. Uh, yeah, there's a lady just there. 
So for the purpose of the podcast, the question's about uh, not just teacher's pay, but about training to, to become a teacher. And a woman says she can't take uh, uh, the time off to, to train to become there, a teacher. There are possibilities there of training possible. on the job yeah. as well. There's, there's various training ways of, of actually doing it while you're, um, while you're working in the classroom. I, I found that you have to be already in a teaching role in order to get qualified to be a teacher. I do think through other means. Yeah. I don't know how I'd get a job. Well, it helps if you... I mean, it might help if you're a teaching assistant or you, you know, that to start with, and then then you can show that you're at, they can spend the money on you if because you're really keen on doing it. So, so the teaching assistant get paid. I can't afford to pay rent. Yeah, there are there are there have been schemes. I think they're good schemes to allow people who are in other professions, recent graduates, to move across to teaching and in certain areas. I know this because my own daughter who's 29 now, considered it two years ago. And she considered it very seriously. She works for a charity. And the reason she didn't do it wasn't so much the amount of money that she gets paid. She works in, in central London and she gets a, that kind of salary. So it wasn't so much that it would... There would be a slight drop in salary while she did the year transfer, the, the, the sort of... Uh, it, was the, it was the pressure that teachers experience. It was the, the potential of the lack of real motivation from the work that she was doing that stopped her doing it. And I think that's the area that we should look at. Uh, so, so can we go uh, back to, to Gareth very quickly? What, where do teaching assistants fit into your scheme? Um, teachers, teaching assistants are a very good thing, helping the teacher. <laughs> <laughs> they are, um, yes. Now, obviously, I joked about... Um, yeah, there's a hand. I'm interested because we've got quite a lot of teachers in. So the government has brought in a thing. What you were saying is it premium something? People premium. People premium about um, teachers being rewarded for. Um, no. no you want pay, me to? pay performance related pay. Yeah. yeah. The schools get their money. Yeah. yeah. If nothing happens tonight, Gareth's and, learning and, something. And actually, <laughs> Sorry, the man's telling me not to hold the microphone close to my mouth. <laughs> okay. The man on the sound desk should change it then. Um, what? Right, I, I, I think. Yeah. Can I make a. On the let's have a very quick point from John. On a performance. And let's, uh, wrap up this question. On a performance related uh, pay. Uh, as a trade union rep, I deal with a lot of public sector organisations, not uh, in the education system, but a lot of people who work uh, either for the government or for local authorities. Uh, performance pay is just as much demotivating uh, as it can be motivating uh, if you're not receiving that. We have some hideous systems in the public sector where uh, there is effectively a forced distribution. So you have to have 10% of people at the bottom, you have to have 80% of people in the middle, and you have 20% at the top. Uh, that's the sort of systems that we have. And if you're advocating that sort of performance-related pay, we, we listen, didn't have I would, say, we I would say, I would say that doesn't work and that doesn't motivate Yeah, no, we weren't doing that system as but a but that's what the government have brought in well, across no, the public sector. No, no, no. I mean, every teacher could have gone up that scale, but we, we looked at them each individually and, and made sure that, you know, each one was rewarded accordingly. It wasn't... I mean, it doesn't matter how many there were. Mm. We weren't told that. Okay. Well, um, thank you, uh, uh, Gareth, for coming along. Uh, what are you working on? Have you got any plugs, Gareth? No. <laughs> <laughs> Um, someone has a very. Uh, I think we, we will move on to. Oh, someone looks like they're going to burst if they don't ask a question. So let's let this man ask a question. Oh, it's going to be a long question, isn't it? She wasn't the first lady. That was just Gronya. You're <laughs> late. She said they trained people to dominate the empire. Very true. We are the empire. It's all they dominate us, and as you said, they train dimwits to get into government positions. What is the panel view, really, on the dimwits, on Eton and Sasha? Should they 
could have been a very succinct yeah, question, but right. So uh, the, um, I think we've we've covered private schools, so I think we do need yeah, to to move on. But but thank you. We will. Um, you can you can join us on Twitter as uh, at, at tweet think tank and hashtag think tank show. Um, Sign Twitter. It's great. It's good fun. Uh, right. Uh, thank you, Gareth, for joining us. Uh, round of applause, Gareth. comedian is about to come to the stage. Uh, I think that he is uh, certainly my uh, favourite vegan metalhead transvestite comedian. Uh, and I hope he will be yours too. Put your hands together. Andrew O'Neill. Hi. Uh, hello. Hello, everyone. Hi. So, uh, no printer. Um, so, I'm reading a document off my laptop, so apologies. Uh, he thrust himself into her. Uh, oh, no, sorry. <laughs> sorry, that's my Doctor Who slash fiction. Um, so, uh, yes, when Joe said, come and, uh, uh, you know, uh, give us one of your, one of your political policies, I immediately, my head just... just you know, span with the possibilities. Uh, policies I, I rejected I, I included abolishing government and replacing it with autonomous, freely associated workers' collectives. <laughs> no. Um, heavy penalties for railway announcers who use the word myself when they mean me. <laughs> it's not more correct. Uh, on the spot fines for people who pronounce the letter H as H. <laughs> And the legalisation of both fox hunting and the hunting of people who take part in fox hunting. <laughs> Fair, isn't it? Be all right? We get tanks. Um, but then he said it was focused on education, so, oh, shit. Okay, uh, right, so I need to think more narrowly. So, but then, you know, I put my brain to the task and education policies came thick and fast. Number one, reintroducing corporal punishments uh, to be administered by the more attractive female teachers. Uh, Number two, uh, a gap in education between 14 and 16, because no one's any good at anything at that age. Uh, and number three, teaching all under fives the difference between death metal and black metal. <laughs> and these obviously these are important uh, ideas, perhaps not the most important. So I looked at my own education. Now they say, don't they, ladies and gentlemen, that your school days are the best days of your life. Um, it's idiots that say that, isn't it? Because uh, if your school days are the best days of your life, you're not taking full advantage of being an adult. Because <laughs> I don't get homework anymore. Um, I no longer have to live with my parents. I've got my own flat. It's great. My own stuff in there. I have had sex this week. <laughs> um, it's great. The children here. I don't have to go to bed at all. <laughs> it's better. It's much better. But, um... <laughs> I looked at my own my own educational background uh, to think about you know what, what I would do. So I so I went to a grammar school, right? It was originally called Wallington High School for Boys, but then they changed the name in the second year to Wallington County Grammar because we weren't getting bullied enough by the outside world. <laughs> the biggest thing was I felt stretched by the company I was keeping. Uh, I'd gone to a, like a regular infant and, and primary school, um, and on the, the induction day at Wallington High School for Boys, I met Tim Booth, right? You know Tim. Um, and Tim knew how computers worked, right? This is the, like, 80s. Um, but he, and it was, it was incredible. I was among the cleverest people uh, in, within the school, still within my, within my class, but I was a lot less frustrated at school at kind of waiting for the other kids to sort of catch up. And it was, it was a really interesting feeling. And this went, this, this all fell away, right? So this happened sort of during my, through my education. This all fell away when I went to a really shit university. Now, Right, I did well at GCSEs, I did well. I got 11 GCSEs, loads of A's. I'm really quite lazy, but I did well without trying very well, uh, trying very hard. But then I, I, I spent my sixth on my A-levels uh, playing the guitar and writing comedy, which both things I now do for a living. So, fuck off, right? Uh, but as a result of really, really fucking up my A-levels, right, I did, I'm not even telling I did bad. So I went to the, um, the University of North London, right? Don't look for it, it's not there anymore. <laughs> No, they found a shitty university to bolt themselves onto. Uh, it was an ex-Polytechnic at the time. That basically, it was like a warehouse for the printer. Uh, <laughs> fancy degree, great. Boom, there you go. And, um, but it was interesting at university. I was back uh, genuinely, and it was full of the thick and the lazy, right? And uh, I was very much in the lazy category, as you can tell. Pretty smart. But 
it's really interesting that again I had to wait for everyone else in my class to catch up and like yeah I've like I did the reading it's fine can we move on because I want to this is rubbish and then when I started doing stand up and going around real universities um, there was a culture of of clever people talking about ideas and I thought I missed that I had that at school and I've tried to sort of find it in my adult life so Weirdly, for, for someone who's an anarchist, I mean, what I want to do ideally is, you know, destroy the state, destroy all borders, and then, uh, you know, collectivise uh, ourselves, move beyond the use of fossil fuels. Essentially, in a, you know, uh, 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 a sort of uh, primitivist anarcho-syndicalism. <laughs> but in the next five years, um, <laughs> if we're going to have an education system that's at all rational, that's going to make the best of our society, it's going to make the best of our working class kids, I strongly advocate the grammar school system. Now, the grammar school system that we used to have was generally quite rubbish because as I worked out in my school, the toffs elbow their kids in, right? So that's fine. Don't make the perfect the enemy of the good. Have a, a, a system whereby the cleverer kids go to schools that, that stretch them, that totally make them geniuses. The working class kids, right? Because then we can foment revolution. <laughs> we will read the books, okay? And also put more resources than into those schools, into educating the kids who are harder to educate, the kids that are a bit slower, the kids that have other needs. Special needs are massively important, and those special needs should be met, but those special needs shouldn't necessarily be met at the expense of the cleverer kids, right? We all know class sizes are a problem. We all know that fundamentally the best way to educate is one-on-one, -on -one, okay? So if you've only got, if you've got 30 kids in a class, why don't those classes cater to the needs of those kids as best we can, right? My school was really, like, it was weird. <laughs> we had houses and we had to play rugby, right? They pretended it was a, a private school, but it wasn't, because I got in. And my parents could not afford to send me to a private school, even if they wanted to. So I strongly advocate grammar schools, but I don't advocate grammar schools in the elbowing kids in way. I advocate them, let's not call them grammar schools, let's overhaul the system. But let's let clever kids, kids who are really easy to educate, go to schools that absolutely stretch them to the best of their abilities, and then we can plough resources and money, and I don't believe in taxation, or, you know, people having more than one house. Um, so, but again, in the next five years. <laughs> Let's have a rational system whereby clever kids get stretched as much as possible and kids who, who have different educational needs are prioritised as well. That is my policy. And then, and then we destroy states, have free movement of humans throughout the world because it's completely ridiculous that we don't have that already. And then destroy capitalism because it's the worst way of organising anything. I've been to Hampstead, right? You, don't, you get a bigger house for being a prick. It's not right. And, uh, yeah, so, but that's not part of my policy at this point. It's really just the grammar school thing. Ta. Thank you. Thank you. Um, we are short for time, so we do need everyone to be succinct. But I do want to go to uh, Tim first, because the Green Party policy is to absolve grammar schools, but not to abolish private schools, and that just seemed quite unusual to me, surely. Absorb them, not absolve them. I mean, I, they, they've far too many guilt for that. But <laughs> I went to one myself as a working-class kid as well, like yeah. you. Yeah. And I was an anarcho-syndicalist as well. Probably still am. <laughs> but the... <sighs> I think we can do all that in a single school. I think we can do that in a comprehensive system, and that's what we need to do. We need the resources to teach people in a proper way, according to their ability, child-centred way, within the schools. Ideally, I think, slightly smaller schools we have now, so we can do them as individuals and people. Um, but I think we can do that. That's the sensible answer. Uh, the silly answer is that you lost me after the anarchist. <laughs> if you, okay, so if, if we do that in a single school, say you've got a school of 500 people, class sizes of 30, how do you make sure that the well, cleverest hang on, hang on, kids hang on. in those you schools... You said class sizes of 30, I didn't say that. I didn't okay, say on that. average. I think, I, mean, I think we need to get those class sizes down. In private, in private schools, they don't have class sizes of 30. Yeah. And they have a great deal more opportunities and extended curriculum for, for kids that meets their needs. And that need can be different for kids at different mm, times. Totally. And that's what we need to aim for. Yeah, yeah, so I'm, I'm going to go to, to Flick. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I, agree with, I agree with Tim about that on, on everything he's just said. Obviously, <laughs> the things he's just said, not the overall, uh, you know, everything else not he might have said. 
<laughs> not the unarthal thing. But it's absolutely true that we need, as I say, Charter Academy has shown that you can do it and you can have, you can stretch children, you can stream them, you can put them in classes, whatever. They don't, not, it doesn't matter what the title is of the school as long as every child is being looked after and taught properly. In terms of, uh, uh, we'll go to John in terms of, um, uh, you know, lay party what social mobility. Uh, this is, would be a good thing for social mobility, wouldn't it? Uh, no, I'm I'm probably with Tim on this one, uh, and I'm going to use a line. <laughs> I'm going to use a line that I never thought I would use, which is I take my hat off to Margaret Thatcher. Uh, Margaret Thatcher closed more grammar schools than any other education secretary uh, in this country uh, while she was education secretary. I think secretary. Shirley Williams did that. Uh, I thought it was Margaret Thatcher. Mm. Uh, so she actually did something that was useful. Uh, because I think it's inevitable that more resources go to grammar schools, I think. Why is that inevitable? I, I think it is because... Just change it. Because that's how the system works in terms of, you know, we feel that we have selected the elite kids at 11, and I think that's completely... Yes, yeah, so tell them to piss off. I, I, think, I think that's completely arbitrary in terms of that. I, I think we should be using the resources as fairly as possible, as equitably as possible. All children dis deserve a decent education uh, and deserve a fair distribution of resources. I think that's what we should be doing. We should be looking for, uh, like Tim says, better facilities, smaller well, I mean, class sizes. It's, it's not remotely inevitable that grammar schools get more resources. Why is that inevitable? Why don't you just not do that? You could do that. If you're in charge of education policy, you can just not do that. It's not I, remotely inevitable. Well, I think we tried. Uh, well, I think we tried the grammar school system, and that was yeah, the inevitability of it. That we tried the grammar school system. And now we've got that, that now we've got of toffs in, that, that in power. of a yeah. minority of kids selected. 11 on an arbitrary basis. Don't do that uh, then. Because Don't make the perfect the enemy of the good. Because kids develop kids develop at a different rate and a kid that might not be talented yeah. at 11 and they might be talented at 13. We had, we had kids that came in from comprehensive schools at the age of 14 to join. You don't you don't, it doesn't need to be the system that we had in the 60s. It could still be... That's the thing, you're, you're arguing on the, not on the basis of what I've said, you're arguing on the basis of a system that you disagree with that's, that's about 40 years old. Also, the other thing is, we had, a success, we had a succession of prime ministers who went to grammar schools, not private schools. Now look at what's happened. And even Ed Miliband, all right, he went to a... He went to a the only reason he went to an, a, 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 the, the uh, comprehensive he went to was because of the political position of his father, who was extremely well-educated. You know, we had we had far more social mobility in the 60s than we do now. Social mobility has ground to a halt, right? We had Harold Wilson, who admittedly was against them, but he went to a grammar school. I believe Margaret Thatcher and um, John Major went to a, went to a grammar school, um, and now we've got we've got Etonian toffs in again. And part of the reason for that is that the education system is failing our working class kids. Which is why we've brought in pupil premium and why we're starting to bring a new curriculum in so that we, everyone can master their subjects and, and we're, we're changing the education system. But it's going to take a generation. We had a, a generation under Labour where they did, uh, they, they told teachers exactly what to teach. Now we've put teaching back into the teaching, the curriculum back into the teachings, teachers so that they can start teaching properly and doing what they're, you know, teaching the right. Uh, before we have run too much, I just want to take very, two very quick. Remember what I started being said at the beginning about making your questions very, very simple? <laughs> uh, do those very, very quickly because we are overrunning. Uh, let's take one from the, uh, that guy there. And a very sensible sweater. So some people said was um, that the, the facilities were a main problem, but surely it's the ability to teach them not the facilities. You can have a good teacher in an African shack who can make a complete difference to those people, or you can have the state-of-art thing and have a crappy teacher. Why do we need private schools with massive We're not talking about private schools here at this point, though, are we? So that's what was said a minute ago, so surely... No, I'm, I'm talking about a selective system whereby, whereby kids are sent to schools that, that serve their abilities to the best degree, you know? And, it's, and it's, it's, not, it's not actually very far from the ideal of the comprehensive system. I just actually think that separating kids off in terms of their education, in terms of the classrooms they're in, the, the education they get, could be a really good idea. It doesn't need to be. There's an ideological aversion to grammar schools from the left that I think is actually doesn't serve working-class kids very well. But what about street, would you like streaming and, and setting and that sort of thing? Yeah, do you agree like with that? Mobility, you know, just you can you can move kids around within the system year by year. That's all. That's all tickety boo. But just my. All I know is I went to school with 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 a, people from all sorts of different backgrounds, and we all did really quite well. 
And, and that's not necessarily because our, our yeah, school was funded uh, better. I'll tell you what really pisses me well, off about Before you schools. tell us what pisses you it's, off, let's take one question, because uh, we are overrunning, and I just want to take one more question uh, from the audience. Unless there's uh, someone right at the back there. Yeah. Right, my question was, how do you define cleverness? Well, yeah. again, yeah. no, no, totally. I would say that, you know, Australia has a form of cleverness that's greater than the middle class white person. Absolutely. Well, I, I, we definitely need a system that's that's better and much more nuanced than the, the kind of standard 11 plus, the, the exam that I did, that got in. My, neither of my parents, it's interesting, but my parents grew up in a... In, I define cleverness. Well, no, I'm, I'm not going to define cleverness because I'm not, I'm not going to go you yes and you no. I mean, that we could have a really nuanced system in which, you know, kids are... Uh, okay. Uh, okay, I think that uh, we are about to a point where we have to uh, wrap up the show. Um, but, um, but this is not a democracy here at all. Now you can... Uh, quickly to Andrew, what, what are you working on at the moment, Andrew? That we're, uh, I'm currently to touring a history of heavy metal, and uh, I'm going to bring it to the Wedgwood Rooms at some point soon. So, okay, well, um, uh, let's hear it for, for Andrew now. So, so this uh, uh, show has been a, a bit of an experiment. We, we'd like to do more in Thank you, everyone, so much for coming. I really mean that. I really appreciate it. Um, I'd really like to uh, uh, thank the panel. I'd, I'd especially like to thank Blake. I really do appreciate someone uh, uh, from the from your party coming along, because I know that uh, uh, it's probably not a home crowd here today, but I do yeah, really right. appreciate they it. They were very it, nice genuinely. Um, uh, But I also appreciate everyone on our panel. So let's hear it for, for John Ferret. <laughs> let's hear it for Tim Brumman. Let's hear it for Tim Dawes. Thank you for coming to see the show. I'd like to thank Colin Brady, Brandon Begg, Peter Dixon, Joe Spurrell, John White, Lee Willis, Chelsea Walton, Andrew Green, Danica McLeish, Andrew O'Neill, Gronya Maguire, Gareth Richard, Roberta Fedora, Adam Carroll-Smith, and everyone at the New Theatre Royal. Thank you.